Uh, well, as Jeannie said, I'm excited to uh, kick off this series on naming Jesus and what the various names of Jesus are, uh, what they meant in that context, what they mean to us, what they reveal about who Jesus is, and what they reveal about who we are. And as we start this time right now of, uh, of teaching and hearing from God's Word, we're going to do something we do regularly around here. We're going to receive an offering. Uh, and so as I'm talking, we'll be also receiving and collecting that. So this is, again, one of the many ways that we express our love and gratitude to God. It's one of the ways that we are actually able to be freed of some of our own uh, sense of needing control in our lives and resources and our money and that kind of stuff is one of the things we hold on to Titus. So this is a, a, an act of worship for us that we're going to do as uh, I'm talking, as we're walking through this, uh, some of these uh, thoughts for this weekend. So if you came ready to give uh, and, and you're ready to do that now, we're going to receive that. So you, I, I trust you can multitask and do both those things. We good? Okay, good. All right, so uh, as Jeannie mentioned, we're looking at specifically some of the names that were given to Jesus, and the ones that we're looking at were given to Jesus hundreds of years before he was actually given the name Jesus. Does that make sense? So these were prophecies that were spoken about who Jesus is and, and what he would be like, who he would be, hundreds and hundreds of years before he actually came to earth, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time. And the Bible is filled with all kinds of different prophecies and prophets. And basically, you know, I'm sure you already know this, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. When sin entered into our story and broke our relationship with God, God used lots of different ways and means to communicate with us, to draw our attention back to him. And one of those ways for a season in the Old Testament were these guys called prophets. And they were crazy characters every one of them. And they would go to extreme means to communicate the heart of God to God's people. And so these prophecies were words spoken about Jesus. Now there are 300 specific prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. 300 prophecies, some of them incredibly specific, like down to like location and very specific things about Jesus. Of the 300 prophecies that were spoken about Jesus throughout the Old Testament, 100% of them came true. So 300 different prophecies by these prophets spoken all throughout hundreds and hundreds of years, dozens of different prophets, 300 of them, 100% accurate about who Jesus is or would be in that case and how he would rule, how he would rule. The oldest prophecy, in fact, goes back to Genesis chapter 3. So now we are just moments after, the, after sin has entered into our story, the wound of sin is still fresh in our flesh. And God speaks. God gives us a promise. He gives us a vision of what would happen and what was to come. That sin would not have the final say in our story. But that a Savior would come who would defeat sin once and for all. So all throughout the Old Testament, you have these promises built on promises, revealing a little bit of truth, giving a little bit more insight into who Jesus is. It's like the longest movie trailer in human history. You know, like just a little more truth. He would be this, he would be this. Coming, Christmas, zero. You know, like, like just revealing and revealing and revealing who Jesus would be. And not just revealing, but they were promises that came to be. And the ones that we're going to be looking at specifically are these names of Jesus. And the ones we're looking at were revealed by the prophet Isaiah. And as Jeannie mentioned, names carry a pretty big significance in our lives and in our culture. And for those of you who've had that opportunity to, ha- to name 
someone a child or, or, or maybe, you know, a pet or a plant, depending on where you're at. Like it, if you've had to do that, you know, that's a pretty big responsibility because you are giving an identity to someone that you don't actually already know. Have you ever thought about that? Your parents gave you your name without knowing a thing about you other than that you were born and you were a boy or girl. That's about all they had to go on. When we named our children, uh, we had uh, Elijah six years ago, and uh, he was born a year after Jeannie's dad had passed suddenly. And it was a huge and tragic loss in our lives and our family. And so we knew his name would carry the significance of his grandfather's name, who we'd never get to meet. So Elijah is named after Elijah the prophet, and his middle name is William, named after Jeannie's dad, Bill. That name has significance to us. It means something to us. Our daughter, Gigi, uh, you may know her. She makes her presence known every Sunday morning here at Soul City Church. Gigi's full name is Genevieve Grace. and She's named Genevieve after my grandmother, who played a significant role in my life and who is full of life and grace. She's 94 and still kicking. And by kicking, I mean actually kicking. Like she is intense. And so we have, that name has significance to us. Maybe you have a name that is named after someone in your family or after something that was important or significant to you. My name is Jarrett. And when I asked, my middle name is Timothy, named after my uncle Tim, who I love. And he has this incredible dry sense of humor. And I, I have a great, great relationship with him. I asked my parents where my name came from. And they finally told me, like when I was a teenager, like, oh, it was a character on a Western TV show that we really liked. And I was like, are you serious? You have to... And then I went back and looked. It was a character. It was on like a show like Gunsmoke, but they spelled it wrong. They didn't even get it the same as the name of the sheriff on the show. So some names have great significance. Others are just typos. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 this is what's interesting. I want you to think about this. It, it, you know, they run a list every year of the most popular names. And Parenting Magazine ran the list of the most popular names, 100 most popular names in America. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and see if you can guess what last year, 2010, the number one most popular name was for boys, and the number one most popular name was for girls. Now, you have like 30 seconds total, so just, you don't have to think about it, just guess. All right, go ahead and take a guess. Popular name for boy, number one for girl. All right. Number one most popular name for boys in 2010, Aiden. Anyone guess Aiden? Yeah, good name, good name, Aiden. Uh, anyone get that right, by the way? Guess that? It's incredible. You're, all right, hey, you know, okay. Uh, number one most popular name for girls, 2010, Sophia. Sophia, so beautiful name, both absolutely beautiful names. I know kids with both those names. Uh, at the bottom of the list for 2010, now, listen, these aren't the worst names. They just aren't the top names. And if, let me just say before I say it, if these happen to be, this is your name, it is not a value statement on who you are or how much you matter here in church. It just happens to be at the bottom of the list. At uh, the bottom of the list, for guys, boys, the name John. So, sorry to John's. And for girls, the name Luna, which... <laughs> understandably so. I thought it was a carpet company. I had no idea that it was a, so you maybe name that. And so, listen, that's not a value statement. That's just kind of like names have significance in our culture and they mean different things at different times, different people. And so we attach meaning to them. In fact, you may have a name uh, that you don't like all that much. 
And you, you've maybe wanted to change it. My dad was named Elwood Alexander Stevens Jr. Okay, so he's, he was working that name. So he knew early on he didn't want to keep that name. It was too hard for people to... to so he changed his name to Steve. My last name is Stevens. So you do the math on that one. Just sound it out. Steve Stevens. If that is not a car salesman, and that's actually what he was, was a car salesman. So it worked... <laughs> Perfectly. Steve Stevens. It's a great, great name. He just, and there was no legal. He just made his name Steve and started calling himself that. And everyone just called him that. And then just how it works. Uh, if you follow anything in the NBA, you know, last, this last year, uh, Ron Artest uh, did not like his name. And so he legally changed his name to Meta World Peace. And you look on his jersey and see if that's not the truth. His new name is Meta World Peace. And I, I think if it weren't for him changing his name, the lockout would have gone on forever. He must have come in and spoken in a word of peace, I think is what it was. World peace. So it's pretty insane, like the value that those things mean and names that we're given without even really fully knowing who we are yet or our parents even knowing who we are. So these names uh, that we see about Jesus that we're going to look at reveal not only who he is, but how he would rule. So if you'd open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to camp out there uh, today, Isaiah chapter 9. If you have the blue Bible in front of you, you can grab that. Please do. Please feel free to take notes in those. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, uh, that Bible that you're now holding is now yours. So please take that as a gift uh, from our church to you. Uh, we believe in the power of God's Word and what it does to transform our lives. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, page 638. We're looking at these prophecies that were spoken by Isaiah, and they were spoken to the people of Israel at a very low point in their story. So they had gone from being a people who had journeyed with God and sought God's heart and were rescued by God out of Egypt and established a kingdom and had a power and they were a force in the known world. And then that was corrupted and fell. And eventually the people would be disbanded and, and they, other kings would come in to rule over them and divide them and take them all across the known world at that time. And so the people of God were in great despair and disarray in this moment. And Isaiah is speaking into these people in this moment. And I want us to read this passage out loud as he is prophesying, he is foretelling on behalf of the heart of God who was to come and how he would rule. So let's, can we read this together out loud, please? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is very significant because these are people who were without power. They were followers without a leader. And what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is, look, what is coming to you is unlike anything you would ever expect. A child is going to come. And he will rule. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to his rule. There will be no boundaries to his kingdom. And he will rule in a completely different way than you have ever seen anyone rule in, on, or of this earth. There is a king coming, but he is not what you would expect. And tonight, what we're going to look at is this name, this first name given to Jesus, Wonderful Counselor. He will be a wonderful counselor. 
The original Hebrew words for wonderful counselor are pele yats. Can you say that out loud? Pele yats. And so what he's saying there in this original translation, what Isaiah has given us from the heart of God is he is a pele yats. He is a wonderful counselor. Original translators of the Bible had separated those two words and said, no, I think what it means is that he is a wonderful ruler and he is a counselor. And yet now just about every Bible scholar agrees, no, 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 no. Those two words are meant to go together. He is Pele Yatz. He is a wonderful counselor. Pele literally means beyond understanding, beyond our comprehension, impossible to define. So this wonderful is beyond anything we could ever comprehend. He is that wonderful. He's that wonderful of a counselor. This word Yatz literally means to advise, to give counsel, to give instruction, not like a, maybe you might think of like a therapist kind of counselor. It's, it's a little bit more of a ruling. If you look at the context of this passage, more like a general would give, gives direction to our lives. He's a peleyatz. He's a wonderful, beyond comprehension, guidance giver, counsel giver, wisdom speaker into our lives. He is a wonderful counselor, a peleyatz. This is who this king will be. He will give direction, leadership, guidance to our life that is far beyond and above anything that we could ever come up with on our own. He is our wonderful counselor. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Anyone here needs some Pele Yachts in your life right now? Anyone here needs some direction in your life right now? Anyone feeling stuck? For whatever reason, you just don't know which way to turn or what to do. Anyone here feel unclear about what's next in life? You got this far, but you, don't, you feel like this chapter's coming to an end. You don't know what's next. Anyone feel unclear about what's now in your life? Some of us feel that way. Like, I don't, I don't know. Am I supposed to be doing this job? Am I supposed to be in this city? Am I supposed to be in these relationships? I need some peleots. I need some wonderful counsel and direction in my life because I got here and I don't know where to go from here. Let me ask you a question. Anyone here? have a friend who's stuck. Maybe you see a friend there, someone that you care about, maybe it's a family member, and you can just tell they are just stuck. It is not working. And you, you want to speak in, you want to say, but you don't know what to say. You don't know how to help them. You ever feel that, that weight, that pressure for a friend before? When you know it's not right, but you don't know what to say, you need pelayat, you need wonderful counsel to speak into their life. Anyone here ever have what you thought was good counsel fail you or fall short in your life. You listen to whoever for whatever reason you thought, well, because they said so, or because my mom and dad told me to, or because all these other folks did it, this must have been fine, this must be okay. And that wisdom, that counsel was not wonderful. It was awful. It didn't help at all. And so now maybe you're stuck. You're stuck. And you need some peleots. You need some wonderful counsel. Anyone here need financial wisdom or direction? For whatever reason, maybe you find yourself in a place where you go, I just, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know what else to do. It just seems to keep piling up and I just keep, see, like, seem to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into debt or into sort of not knowing how to make things work or not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do with these resources. You need some peleots. You need some wonderful counsel in your life. Anyone here facing very real temptation? Very real temptation. There is a person at work that just kind of keeps inching a little too close, a little too close, and you feel, man, this is, this is becoming something 
different. Or there is a group of friends that you go out with, and you know every time you go out with them, you just end up making some just awful decisions, things that you end up regretting the next day. Maybe that uh, temptation has become uh, an addiction for you. And you are sort of up to your eyeballs in managing this addiction. And it preoccupies your thoughts and your minds and, and, and your resources. And everything is sort of now being pulled into the gravitational pull of this addiction. And you don't know how to get out on your own. You're not even totally sure how you got here in the first place. Anyone need some paleots? Anyone need a wonderful counselor? Because... God reveals to us through the prophet Isaiah that's exactly who we get in Jesus. A wonderful, wonderful counsel. Wonderful counselor. Wisdom perspective beyond our experience, beyond what we can see. When you hit those spots where you get stuck and you know you can't move forward on your own, two things to think about. When do you ask for help? And where do you typically ask for it from? When you hit that wall, whatever it is, when you realize I need something other than my own wisdom or perspective or this wisdom or perspective that I've been using just hasn't got me here, at what point do you reach out and say, I need wisdom? And who do you reach out to? Who are you seeking wisdom and counsel from in your life? Who is it that you're seeking that from? I'm so grateful uh, for my wife, Jeannie, and for the way that she pursues Peleyat. She pursues wonderful counsel in her life. She is someone who, in big ways and small ways, seeks God out to know where are you guiding, where are you leading, where are you directing. Regularly will be fasting, regularly will be spending times and days just listening to God. And it's inspiring to me because I know, look, if I at least stand close enough to her, I'm going to be okay. Like, you know, she just is listening intently to God and for God and responding to what happens. And it's beautiful to see in those big things and in those small things. But then there are other things where those rules that guide her life don't tend to apply. And one of the ways that I found that we are most different is when it comes to, uh, when we get in the car to go somewhere, I find that we both seek wisdom very different ways at very different times from very different places. Let me explain to you what we mean. I tend to be from the school, like when I get in the car, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what the route is. I want to kind of figure out. And I like, to, I, I mean, there's a lot of equations happening at once. There's time of day. You know, there's, there's like, okay, what day of the week is it? How is that going to affect my route? Are there any road closings? Like, I, I want to make sure that I can get there the fastest way possible, the shortest way possible. And so what I'll do when I get in the car is I'll, you know, get kind of hit Google Maps. We even have a nav in our car. I'll do that to compare data just to make sure. And I'm like trying to get as much wisdom about going literally 10 minutes away. This happened to us the other night. We were heading to the Lincoln Park Festival of Lights. We pull out of the garage and, you know, we're, we're cutting it close on time and trying to get the kids out of the house. And first thing we do is like we pull out and I'm like, well, if we go up Armitage, we could probably get the, you know, I do remember there was, that brook was under construction. I'm doing this, and Jeannie's like, go! <laughs> like, just start driving! Because it's going to be over by the time you figure out how to get there. <laughs> and so for this woman who seeks godly wisdom and counsel in her life, there are some ways, lots of small ways, to just go, just go! Just start driving. And sometimes we'll be driving, I'll say, honey, where, you know, she'll say, like, oh, we got to go to this place. Okay, where do we go? She's, uh, just turn right up here. I'm like, that doesn't sound like that's thought through. 
you're just giving like general broad, you're telling me like, might as well say go east. I need to know specifically what street because we seek different, you know, we seek wisdom in different ways, don't we? We seek counsel in different ways at different times. And I think when it comes to the big stuff in life, not just small stuff, but when it comes to the big stuff in life, while we're all wired differently, I think there are three different types of us in this room tonight. When it comes to seeking counsel or wisdom for our life, for the big things, the important things that really matter, not just directions, the important things that really matter. I think there's three types of people, and you'll probably find yourself in one of these. I think there are those people who seek wisdom and direction when they start. They seek, they seek wisdom and direction when they start. Now this is, I thank God for my wife and the way that she seeks that. I thank God for my friend John, who seeks wisdom before he moves. He seeks God before he moves. I love I love our stewardship team here at this church. When we look at the resources that God has entrusted our church to, no one there is just kind of shoot first, ask questions later. These are all godly people who say, you know what, let's just seek the heart of God. Let's see what God has for us. They seek godly wisdom and counsel. Our advisory board that leads and, and kind of gives, you know, sort of some direction and covering over this church. They're acting sort of as our elder board until all of our elders are raised up. They seek Godly wisdom and direction, they listen to and for the Peleyats. They listen and seek that. I think there are some people who seek that before they start. Then I think there are other people who seek wisdom and direction only once they get stuck. Only once they get stuck. So for whatever reason, they sort of go as far as they can go and then they hit a wall or they hit a ditch or it just doesn't work anymore. And it's then at that point when sort of everything either hits the wall or falls apart that then they are willing to seek this wonderful counsel that can only come from God. Then I think there's a third group of people. And those are the folks who are so stubborn that they never seek the wisdom and counsel of God. That they assume that they have enough experience or have a great enough perspective or sort of have figured enough out to just sort of make it through life all on their own. And that may be you. You just go, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of like a street smart kind of person. I just sort of figured out, or I've got some friends that I'll just kind of ask or bounce things off of. And, and so in your stubbornness, you just go through life without ever stopping to think or seek the wisdom and counsel of God. There are those who look for it from the start. There are those who look for it when they get stuck. And there are those who are just plain stubborn. And I want to speak a word. I want to put those up. You might want to write those down and think about where you're at when it comes to those. Are you someone who's stuck, someone who's stubborn, or someone who, as we're going to look at here in a second, is seeking godly wisdom and counsel and truth on a regular basis, on a regular basis? My hunch is no matter which of those three groups that you would say you're most like, all of us at some level find ourselves in this room tonight or watching online stuck. At some level, you're stuck. You don't, you've hit a wall. You don't know in a specific area of life. It may be a big one. It may be a small one. It may be a combination of small ones or big ones, whatever it is. You, all of us at some level may find ourselves and probably find ourselves stuck for whatever it is. Maybe stuck in your career right now. And you don't know, man, am I supposed to move forward in this job? Am I supposed to stay this job? Am I supposed to leave that to go do this? Or maybe you recently, as a friend of mine, shared with me this afternoon, got laid off from your job. And that's a whole different kind of stuck. Because you're stuck with, without ever really wanting to be. And now you're stuck in this situation. All of us find ourselves in some way, some way, stuck. 
Maybe it comes with your finances. We talked about a second ago. And you're sort of looking at your finances and whether it's because you feel like you don't have enough or because you're not sure to do with what you have, you feel stuck. You're not quite sure what to do, how to move forward. Maybe when you think about your future, what you want your life to be about, and you think about, is it going to be in this city? Is it going to be with these friends? Is it going to be with this person? Is it going to be with any person? Will there be kids? Well, I don't know. And you feel just stuck in the distance between here and there. You just feel stuck. You just feel stuck. I, I think every one of us at some level brings that into this room, and that is a part of our lives, no matter how we're wired. We just find ourselves in different seasons for different reasons, stuck. Now, I don't know if this is true about you, but I know this is very true about me. I've just found this to be consistently true about me. When I, when I get to the points where I'm stuck and I play the tape back, do you know what I almost always find at some point in the process? It's my stubbornness that led to my stuckness. You just play it back. I want you to think about one of those areas we just talked about a second ago where you might feel stuck. You play the tape back. My hunch is, if you're anything like me or, or, or like human beings, you'll find at somewhere it's your stubbornness that leads to your stuckness. It's just consistently true. And it may not look like stubbornness in the moment, but that's exactly what it is. It's the moment when I say, you know what, I got this one. Maybe it's not for bad intentions. God, I don't want to bother you. You have a lot going on. I don't necessarily even know if you know about this or care about this. So I'm just going to move forward with this relationship. I have a sense it's unhealthy. But let's just play this thing out and see where it goes. Or God, I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to say this in this person's life. But you know what? I'm just not going to do it. I just don't feel like doing it. I just know that that would change the dynamic in our relationship and and so I'm not going to do it. And then the relationship gets stuck. You watch a relationship begin to deteriorate. You play the tape back at some point. My hunch is it's your stubbornness that leads to your stuckness. And all of us play a role. All of us have a responsibility when it comes to the seasons that we find ourselves and the places that we find ourselves stuck. At some point we made a decision that instead of seeking the pelayats, Instead of seeking the wonderful, wise counsel of Jesus, we figured we could do it on our own. We figured that we had all the wisdom, perspective, insight that we needed. And so as we come to Jesus, our wonderful counselor, this Christmas, we have to consider what would it look like for us to come to him regularly, daily as our wonderful counselor, to seek his wisdom and counsel and direction, his wonderful beyond definition wisdom and counsel and perspective for our lives. What would it look like for us to not only sort of keep an open line, but to be actively listening for him to speak and not only to listen, but to respond when he does. To listen and say, okay, I'm, I'm open. And here's sort of my questions that I, I need you to speak in on. I need that wonderful wisdom and counsel that you have. But I'm also open for the rest of it as well. And, and my sense is, if is, this is true, it's been true of my life, it seems to be consistent of the wisdom and counsel and direction of Jesus is that it rarely looks like what I want it to look like. I rarely end up where I think I'm going to end up. I rarely end up doing what I naturally comfortably want to do. But it is always 
better. It may be even hard for me to follow the wisdom and counsel, to listen for it and to follow the wisdom and counsel and direction of Jesus. It may be and probably will be one of the hardest things you'll do, but it will be, and I guarantee you this, the best, consistently, the best wisdom and counsel and direction you have in your life. And I can tell you that because I've experienced that against, at times, even my own inklings and desires to take the wheel and in my own stubbornness make decisions for myself. But in the last few years, as we've started this church and began to open the doors to this church, God has opened my heart to the power, the transforming power of seeking and depending on and waiting for and responding to the Pelayats of Jesus, the wonderful counsel. I'm telling you, and you've probably heard us tell this story before. We were living in Atlanta when we just started to get that stir in our gut. And we had a sense, okay, God, you're doing something. We don't know what it is, but we want to seek you and hear what it is because we can tell you're giving us a holy discomfort with all the comfort that surrounds us. And so we listened. We listened. What is that? What is that? We brought in wisdom and counsel into our lives. We went literally and sought it out from some of the wisest people we know. We go, okay, this is, we sense that God is stirring some things up. And then it became clear that it was to start a church. Now listen, this went against everything that looked good on paper for us at the time. We had great jobs at a great church and we just built a beautiful house and we had built a great life for ourselves. And everything on paper said, stay the course. Enjoy this ride while it lasts. And yet, the Pelayats kept saying, no, no, I have something greater for you. I have something bigger for you. And so we listened. In fact, when we, it became clear to us that the next step of obedience in our lives was to start a church and that it would be in Chicago, we did something that goes very much, at least against my character, we took a vow of silence for 30 days from talking about it. Because I know that my temptation is to kind of bounce it off people and, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? Maybe you should come and be a part of it. You know, like, I just want to like, I want to work it out. I want to feel it out. And the wonderful counsel of Jesus said, let me speak. Let me speak. You listen. You respond. You let me speak. And so that's what we did. And I just, I'm, I look at how hard it has been, but how much better it has been for us to say, okay, Jesus, that's, okay, we'll trust you. We'll say yes to that. We'll say no to that. And this isn't a bad thing. It may be a good thing, but we trust that you have a better thing for us. That's, that has been the process for us consistently over these last couple of years. In fact, up until these last few weeks, you know, we are in the middle of, or just rather kicking off a campaign called Let's Make Believe. And maybe you heard Jeannie talk about it last week, or you've seen the signs, you've been to the, to the website, and you know that we are committed to the next generation. We're committed to the children that are a part of this church and a part of this neighborhood. And we are kicking off a pretty big and significant campaign. And, and when we knew that we wanted to focus all of our year-end giving as a church towards kids, towards the children of Soul City Church that are part of Soul City Church, and towards the kids that are part of Brown Elementary and our heart and our partnership for that school, uh, we came and Jeannie was praying. And again, she was listening for God. And we came up with a number we thought would be a good number for us as a church. Like, what if as a church, you know, we said we are going to commit ourselves to raising $100,000 for the children of this church, of Soul City Kids, and for the children of Brown. That sounded really good to all of us. 
we were like, yeah, that's, wow, 100,000, that would be amazing. And we were all feeling pretty good, and I was already thinking about, yeah, how can we, like, package this, and how are we going to, like, communicate this? This is great. And I just remember Jeannie, we were actually on a flight. We were, we were heading somewhere, and she goes, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm like, what, 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 what? Are you getting sick? What is it? She's like, I think God's pushing me right now. Like, what, what, what? She goes, I, I think. I think we're supposed to depend on God in greater levels in our church. I'm like, yeah. Like, what did it tell you? Tell me what that means. She's like, I think we need to make the goal $150,000. You know, my first pass is, on paper, that's not a good idea. <laughs> that's really hard, and why would we? Oh, boy, that's a lot, and we got to, you know, what if that doesn't happen? This is where I go to. What if that doesn't happen? What if we don't make our goal? What if, and yet the paleos, the wisdom and wonderful counsel of Jesus says, oh, you trust me, I've got something way bigger than a financial goal or number. I'm going to do a work in everyone's heart this year end. And I'm going to do a work that only I can do if you trust me and respond to me and follow me. And so we set that goal. And our goal for this year end giving, outside of our regular tithes and offering, and this church is an incredible, generous, faithful, sacrificial church, our goal beyond our regular tithes and offerings is to raise $150,000. Here's what I love about the wisdom and counsel that our stewardship team seeks. When we began to run those numbers by them, they said, same thing. They're like, okay, let's listen, let's listen. Yep, that seems like that's what God's doing. And they began to push and said, you know what would be really great? Is if we gave away more than we kept. And again, I'm going, guys, I don't, okay. That sounds (laughs) great. You know, I'm trying to like, but I know that's exactly what God's saying. And so we're giving more than half. We're investing, in, and I do mean investing that, into Brown Elementary, into starting an autism program and a robotics program for them that this city will never invest in them for. And it's amazing. And so, so we look at that, and then we, <laughs> then we go upstairs, and maybe you don't come on Sunday mornings. You go upstairs, and it's awesome how I mean, it was packed with kids upstairs. And they're starting to take over every room. They're eventually going to start pouring down the stairs at some point on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's amazing. So we look upstairs. We go, okay, how can we not only keep up with what God's doing and how he's grown our church, but to get ahead and to provide a great experience for families here in the city? It's hard raising kids in this city. And so we said, what if we could just sort of, you know, give this number of resources away to Soul City Kids and invest that into what we're doing. So that was a great paleots moment of going, I want to listen, I want to listen, I want to listen, I want to say yes. But then it gets incredibly personal. So while I'm going, wow, that's a big, that takes a lot of faith to do that, and Jeannie and I are looking at our finances and going, okay, you know, this is sort of what we have, and this is sort of where we're at, and, you know, I mean, the reality is, we, you know, we're looking around going, okay, we have these resources, we can give this, and both of us just felt like, yeah, we could, that just, you know, it just didn't quite feel like that was something that was stirring our faith, or it seemed like something that just made too much sense. And so as we were praying and listening, God, how do you want us to give and what do you want us to give? Uh, we just felt this very small, subtle whisper from God, and it's not the word I thought I would hear. Uh, the word was Craigslist. And I'm like, wait, Craigslist? Like, Lord, is that really you? And and here's what we felt like God is leading us to do this Christmas. And maybe you're in the same spot where you kind of look at your resources and go, okay, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of excess. None of us necessarily maybe have a ton of excess, but all of us have more than we need. 
And so we felt the Peleyats, the wonderful counsel of Jesus, say to us a couple weeks ago, walk through your house, find the things that you don't really need, and sell them. Put them on Craigslist and sell them. And take that money on top of the gift that you've already set aside to give and bring that to the table. And I'll tell you what, it, it, you know, you, we're walking through things going, okay, I don't necessarily know why I still have this, but for some reason I thought I needed it. I don't. And so I want to sell that. Whatever we get for that, that goes right into the pot. And there are a few things that we walk around going, I really like this. I don't want to lose this. And yet what is this worth compared to the gift of an investment we can make at Brown or in Soul City Kids? And more than that, the gift of how God is going to transform my heart and the letting go of it. And maybe that's something for you to think about as we're, you're going to hear us talk about uh, this Let's Make Believe campaign. We believe that God wants to stir in every one of our hearts all of us will give differently, but our goal is our goal is that every one of us gets involved somehow, that every one of us gives of ourselves somehow. And that's how God is leading us to places on paper we would never choose, we would never desire, we would never pick on our own, and yet as we trust him, as we listen to him, as we respond to him, we are finding a way that, though it may be hard, is always better. And here's what I love about the wisdom and counsel of Jesus. The more I get to know Jesus and I fall in love with Jesus, here's what I begin to understand about who Jesus is. Not only is he our Peleots, not only is he only our wonderful counselor whose wisdom is far above and beyond and greater than anything I can imagine. Do you know what else it is? It's incredibly familiar with our context. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. From Isaiah to the birth of Christ to now the Hebrews, listen to what the author of Hebrews says, these words, Hebrews 4, 15. This is true of this wonderful counselor that we don't have a high priest or a ruler in our life, a leader in our life, who is unable to empathize, to understand, to feel our weaknesses. And listen to what's being said here of this Peleots, this wonderful counsel that is above and beyond anything we could come up with. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize, to understand our weaknesses, our stuckness, our stubbornness. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. He is above and beyond, but incredibly familiar with our context. Tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need to help us in our stuckness. So we have a Peleyatz who is above and beyond, as we'll also see in a couple weeks, we also have an Emmanuel who is with, who has been in, who has walked alongside us our whole life, who literally walked this earth with us and gave his life for us. That's who our wonderful counselor is. Far above and beyond and yet incredibly familiar why wouldn't we want to know what he has for our lives? Why wouldn't we seek his wisdom, counsel, and direction? Why would we settle for anything less? Why would we settle for our own stubbornness and stay in our own stuckness? This week, I'm going to give us a challenge as a church to seek 
our wonderful counselor, to pursue our wonderful counselor. And so if you are serious about listening to and responding to Jesus, two thoughts for you. Two thoughts for you. If you want to be someone who seeks wisdom from the start, right? We want, like, because here's the crazy thing. If we would just seek wisdom, godly counsel from the start, we might avoid some of the stuck places, true? The times that we cry out to God, oh God, I've made a mess, please help me. Had we maybe called out to God months earlier, we wouldn't be in a cry out to God moment right now. Agreed? So we want to be a people who seek out our peleats, our wonderful counselor. Here's two thoughts. Incredibly simple, hard to do, but so much better than anything we could come up with on our own. Listen regularly for promptings. Listen regularly for promptings. And sometimes they'll come from the questions you're asking. God, what should I do in this situation? God, where would you lead me? He may reveal it to you through his word. He may reveal it to you through a conversation with someone in your life who, who knows God, who speaks godly wisdom or counsel. He may remind you of a moment that he's been faithful in your past, but you are actively, consistently, regularly listening, asking not only the questions you have, but open to him, prompting and leading and guiding and directing in the areas that you're not asking about. We listen regularly and we respond quickly. I'm telling you, listen regularly to the peleots, the wisdom, the wonderful wisdom and counsel of Jesus. And when you hear that whisper, and it's often a whisper, respond as quick as you can. Respond. The Bible calls that word obey. Obey. And it just might change and break our stubborn hearts and help us to steer clear some of the stuckness that we find ourselves in our lives. I listen regularly and I respond quickly. And if you find yourself in a place, whether it be through your own stubbornness or whatever it is where you find yourself stuck here tonight, there's great news, great news. We're gonna come to the table of grace. We're gonna come to God's throne of grace through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus here tonight. And so the most important thing you can do for you, those of us who find ourselves stuck, stubborn, hitting that wall, first is to admit it. Just to admit it. To not pretend like you're in control anymore. To just literally admit it. And we're gonna give you a chance to do that here in a second. And then the second thing that I think you should do is put yourself around as many godly individuals and, and wise individuals and people who you look at and go, okay, they've actually made good decisions in their life. I want to be around them as much as possible. Become annoyingly close to them. Because <laughs> my sense is they might be people who are listening for the Peleots, the wonderful counsel of Jesus. Admit it. So what we're going to do here at the table in a second. And then put yourself around people who speak who listen for, who respond to the wonderful counsel of Jesus. When you sat down, there was a little star, a little ornament on your seat. I want to ask you to pull that out right now. The band's going to come up. We're going to spend a few moments listening and reflecting. But this star, would you grab this, please? Grab the pen that's in front of you or the pen that you've been writing, taking notes with. And in that process of admitting, in that process of calling out, in that process of pursuing our wonderful counselor, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to spend just the next few moments, even while I'm talking, writing on this star, this little ornament. I want you to write down a place where you just feel stuck, where you don't know what to do, where you've gotten yourself as far as you can go or in as deep as you can handle, and you are stuck. And you need, you need the wisdom and counsel of God. 
You need some pelayats, something that is far and above and yet also incredibly familiar with. And would you write that out? Maybe it's a word or a phrase where you say, I am calling out to you. I am coming to you and naming you, Jesus, my wonderful counselor. By writing this down, I am naming you my wonderful counselor for this area in my life and for every area in my life. And I ask you to write that out, to take a second reflect on that. And then here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, when I'm done praying here, we're going to bring what we write and we're going to hang it on these trees. And as we do, we've set up table for communion, tables for communion here in the front and in the back as well. And basically what communion is for us is an opportunity to come and say, I admit it. On my own, I have failed, I have fallen, and I need to be reminded, I need to be reminded of who Jesus really is. And so that's what these elements are at the table. It's bread, it's a cup. And before the night that Jesus was arrested and ultimately gave his life on a cross for us, he gathered his disciples together and he said, look, this is what this means. This bread represents my body. It means that I actually came to be with you. I am a high priest who understands and empathizes with and has faced every temptation you face in my earthly body, in this physical life I've lived. I came and I gave my body for you. I literally gave, I paid the price for you. I gave my life for you. That's what that bread reminds us of is that we have nothing without the life of Jesus. And then the cup reminds us of his blood which is the only thing that can forgive our sins. Not us trying harder, not us going further, not us trying to do less bad things. Only the blood of Jesus can wash us free from our sin to forgive us completely. And so I think this is a beautiful exercise to call out and say where we're stuck and then to come to the table to approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus has already gone there for us. And we're going to create and provide that space for you. I'd encourage you to come up as soon as you're done writing, as soon as I'm done praying, to take advantage of that. The elements are really simple. You tear off a piece of bread that reminds you of the body of Christ. You dip it in the cup, which reminds you of the blood of Christ. And we celebrate, we remember our great, wonderful counselor who came so that we could have life. So let me pray for us as we reflect and respond to Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are our peleots. You are our wonderful Counselor, you are the one who is above and beyond and greater than us. And your wisdom for our lives and your direction in our lives may not always look like what we want it to look like or take us where we thought we should go or lead us to do what we want to do in our own comfort or according to our own desires. But God, we trust and we know that it's always better. Always better. And so in our stubbornness and in our stuckness, we commit that we are going to be people who seek you out from the start, who listen for you regularly and respond to you quickly. Even this response right now, coming to the table, thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us, your body and your blood, your life, so that we could have life. Thank you for that wonderful gift and reminder. We worship you and you alone. In the name of Jesus, our wonderful counselor, amen.